arriving in U.S. mail from St. Louis in the original de Havilland DH-4 biplane and 10 bulky gunny sacks are the combined audiobook renditions and supplemental background information as presented in podcast form by moi, me, Robert P. Fitton. Good evening to one and all, wherever in the galaxy you make your home. What happens with Peter and Jeannie at the pavilion is unexplainable. As Jean Carlyle, the movie star, asks if they've met before. An incredible question from an exact replica of Jeannie, the human being, but with a different past and an alternate timeline. I'm reminded of somewhere in time where Jane Seymour asked Christopher Reeve, Is it you? can't say that I used that scene to produce what happened at the pavilion. What coexists between both scenes is an inexplicable connection between two human beings, a familiarity that defies common sense. As we shall see in episode three of A World Without Her, that recognition will be brought to the next level. I do want to say a few words at the end of this podcast about Ricardo, the A number one creep of this story. For now, Peter is headed to the movie studio at Gene Carlyle's invitation. Why, you ask? I would simply say that chemistry between two people is sometimes overwhelming. Here is the overwhelming episode three of A World Without Her by Robert P. Fitton. Chapter 13. Melvin repeatedly advised against Peter's trip to the movie studio. Jeannie had not recognized him at the pavilion, and Melvin feared the identical genie of this reality would only hurt Peter. He threw down the newspaper when Peter insisted he had connected with Jeannie. Never mind that the lady has never met you, Peter. You want to believe that you can just mold her back into Jeannie. What have I got to lose at this point, Melvin? What hope do I have of returning to my past life in Westerly? Cibola. You think Ricardo is just going to give us a road map to Cibola? Then we approach Martin. They'd kill us in a second. Face it. We're trapped in this reality. You have your business, your new wife. What other option do I have? Curtis leaned against the bedroom door. Go to the studio, Peter. Peter grinned. Ah, screw it, said Melvin, fumbling with a crumpled piece of yellow lined paper from his pocket. I have the Bel Air address. I say we locate Martin. He'll deal with us. I'm going to the studio. You can't think of forming any type of relationship with this woman, Peter. You got everything you want. I'm out of here. Do you hear me? I'm gone. Peter started for the outside door and then turned and pointed at Melvin. You know what, Melvin? Sometimes people... He held his bursting emotions inside. An older man emerged from the shack. He gave a studio pass to the guard. Signed by Miss Carlisle herself. Hmm. I never know Miss Carlisle to sign something like this. I'll have to call her a verifier signature. I need your license also. I understand. Just a few more minutes of waiting for Jeannie would be tolerable. When the guard finally returned, the studio pass in hand, his sly grin gave Peter renewed optimism. He handed Peter back his license. I apologize for the delay. Miss Carlisle is shooting and not presently reachable. I have clearance from her assistant. Unbelievable, bud. How the hell did you pull this one off? Well, I figure sooner or later we all have to get lucky. Ah, the odds are better to win Super Lotto. 
He pointed ahead and directed Peter to the car park at Building 16. He made two black metal doors with a red light above. Once at the entrance, he would show his pass to a woman at the door and then enter the building. As he pulled the Hummer inside, the gate closed behind him. He easily located Building 16 and parked the vehicle. The warm sun heated his clothing as he crossed the lot. A young blonde in light slacks and a studio ID tag hung around her neck, held a walkie-talkie in her hand. She motioned him up to the black doors. Right this way, Mr. Sturgis. Peter agilely tiptoed up the concrete stairs. Thank you. Inside the darkened area, more red lights glowed above the inner doors. The air conditioning cooled his arms and face. She led him through several corridors and opened a half a dozen more doors. Increasingly aware Jeannie actually had invited him to the studio set, Peter's tension escalated. The blonde showed the studio pass to some guy in a bright green baseball hat and t-shirt. He looked at Peter, nodded, and then brought him around the corner near the actual set. Jeannie, surrounded by a small rural kitchen set with a wood-beam ceiling and knotty pine walls, sat in a portable chair and read over a folded script. A stout, balding director approached her and for several minutes went over something in the script. He motioned with his hands toward a white-tiled counter. She nodded and jotted something onto the script itself. As the director returned to the camera, Jeannie studied the script and then stuffed it in one of the kitchen cabinet drawers. She wore a clean-cut blue jeans and a red flannel shirt. They had tinted her frosted hair back to brown. Combined with the casual appearance, she looked more like his wife. The bald man yelled something from the center chair behind the cameras. He signaled to the large frame man in the upper control room. Cameras clicked. Acting frazzled, Jeannie darted around the kitchen and stopped at the counter. Her words echoed onto the set. Where is everyone? Hello? You can't tell me I've come all the way up to this cabin and there's nobody here. Hello? She spun around. Who is that? Who is it? Cut. Good, good. You've got it, Jean. Good. Okay, let's take a break here. We'll all come back to the entry scene when they get the props ready. This is going to be an intense scene, people. We've got Gavin outside the door ready to come in after Melody. You got about an hour. Peter doubted whether Jeannie had remembered about the studio pass. He stood inauspiciously with the crew as she talked with a few people up front. Then she quickly exited out a side door. Excuse me. He walked up to the red-haired crew woman and held up the pass. Miss Carlyle wanted to see me. Well, Miss Carlyle has retreated to the trailer. Roberta Joe's trailer in Westerly flashed into his mind. Does she know who you are? Well, tell her Peter from the pavilion at Capistrano. Oh, okay, come on. Peter followed her to the edge of the set and then down a long, darkened corridor. The silver trailer reflected an open warehouse with high, gray support beams and metal shelves. A security man next to the trailer motioned her toward the door. Peter's heart raced and she knocked on the door. A few seconds later, Jeannie, wearing glasses, opened the door and leaned out. The woman said something and pointed toward Peter. Jeannie squinted, smiled, and nodded. The trailer door closed and the woman walked back. What's the good word? You must have the right connections. Go on in. Peter's heart jumped. Great. Thanks for your help. Each step forward churned his emotions. The guard opened the trailer door to a lavish interior laden with a musk perfume. He had thought he might never see her again, and now he stood like a schoolboy on his first date. Take that, Melvin. 
She emerged in a green terry cloth robe and wore wide-rimmed glasses. Her pensive expression made him uneasy. Melvin? Peter's mouth hung open for a second. Oh, sorry, just mumbling. Hello. She smiled cautiously and extended her hand. Peter, right? Peter, trying not to appear eager, shook her hand. Jeannie, right? The smile lines deepened on her face. Her teeth were whiter and straighter. I have to tell you, Peter, I honestly don't know why I did this. I was a little high, but who are you? I could swear to God I've met you before. Something about you. I got back home and I just kept thinking, who is this guy, Peter? Guy who wonders how you got here. She smiled a sad smile and then went to the liquor cabinet. Drink? No, no thanks. Peter remembered the drinking problem described in the papers. So, you wonder how I got here? Well, Ricardo is the answer. Ricardo, just like the tabloids will tell you, brought me to stardom in the 80s. She raised the glass, and they connected as they did at Capistrano, but a terrible loneliness resided in her eyes. Ricardo is a brilliant man, and you love him. She laughed nervously and sat on the arm of the other chair, running her fingers through her wet hair. Her eyes moistened, and she tightened her jar as she swished the ice cubes around the glass. Surprise, Peter? Would you be surprised that they don't give press releases on how much I loathe that man? Peter did not want to upset her, but he did not object to the marital disruption. I'm sorry, Jeannie. She turned at the mention of her name and smiled through her hurt. You've come a long way, haven't you? What do you mean? This is all very strange. Her eyelids hung heavy. She peered at his hand. You're wearing a wedding ring. Peter looked at the ring, remembering when he and Jeannie had picked out the ring at Kerouac Jewelers in Westerly so many years ago. No, that was before. But you still wear your ring. Yeah, she must have been a special woman. Peter grinned and looked into her dark eyes. Did I say something funny? No, no. The world is watching me, Peter. I have to be discreet, and look, I don't want you to think I spend my time inviting strange men up to my trailer. I'm a strange man, eh? She grinned again and set down the drink. I like you, Peter. I liked you right away at the pavilion. It's so damn weird. Sybil told me it's just because I'm under so much pressure. Sybil? My secretary, my confidant, the woman behind the woman. She's the one who gets everything done. She advised against my letting you over here. She's afraid Ricardo will get the wrong idea and frankly let him. I don't know if I want to cross that guy again. Again? I mean, he seems vengeful. Oh, you got that right. I have everything planned out in my career. Inviting you up here was pretty spontaneous. Well, I'm glad you did. She pressed her lips and raised her index finger. Look, I want to get together somehow. Something informal. You do? Yes, out of the limelight. What about Ricardo? He's away a lot. What do you want to do? Peter stood, hardly believing what she had just said. Oh, I don't know. It doesn't matter. We have another few days of shooting here before we go on location up to Mammoth Lake. You want me to just pick you up? Well, sure. That would be great. I don't want to get you in trouble publicly or with Ricardo. Sybil can handle all that. I want some quiet time. I understand, said Peter, laughing. What? Oh, I can't believe this. I only wanted to see you again. And again? Again? Peter, are you sure we haven't met? In another time and place, said Peter, pointing with both index fingers. How's that for an answer? Works for me. 
She extended her hand. He shook it and again looked into her eyes. She walked over to the coffee table and took out a pen and a piece of paper. Write down your address and number. Sybil is going to have a fit. Think about where you'd like to go, and don't worry about Ricardo. I just don't want to get you in trouble, Jeannie. You have your career. I'm just some poor schmuck who has nothing to lose. Neither do I, Peter. Neither do I. Chapter 14 Ricardo, turquoise towel draped around his neck, traipsed over the pool's glazed blue tiles and entered his game room. He gripped a wood grain cue stick and banged the blunt end on the felt table. In the three days since he had returned from France, Jean had only spoken a few words to him. He peeked into the drawing room, past the glass chandelier and up the sweeping marble stairway. Maybe he should just have taken her to Europe and let them start the mammoth shooting a few weeks late. Her growing independence annoyed him. Martin! Martin! He scoffed up his drink from this afternoon and swallowed the scotch in one gulp. Martin, where the hell are you? Martin mumbled something from one of the first floor bedrooms and then appeared in the hallway. Well, you're antsy this morning. What's the matter? What's the matter? I don't even have the results of the shooting. I want to see that footage. Where is it? Well, there was a delay in production. It'll be here tonight. Rumor is it that she was stiff. No enthusiasm. I should have controlled that shooting. If it doesn't work, we'll just shoot it over again. Where is she? I don't know. Sybil said she wanted to do some shopping. You tell Sybil that I hired her to keep tabs on Jean. I want to know what she's doing and when she does it. She's my investment, my reality. You're not thinking of going to Cibola again, are you? Asked Martin. There's no reason to go to Cibola, is there? He picked up the cue ball and lined up a corner shot and then scratched. Martin held his wrist. Well, I see no reason to think about Cibola. Things are moving right along. We could go on here for years. As long as Sturgis doesn't show up and as long as she's successful. We made her successful, Martin. And she will be successful until I say not. And let Sturgis turn up. I want to see his face. Well, that was a premier mistake. You should have killed him. You will stay out of my decisions, Martin. I want you to call up to the Mammoth Lake location. See how things are going. I want everything in place when we get up there. I don't want any excuses. This thing has to be done for a summer release. Okay, I'll call Rodney. He should be up there now, replied Martin. One other thing. What's that? The story in that rag. The guy who tried to take the picture at the beach last week. You threatened them, right? asked Ricardo. Well, I told them we'd ruin the paper if they ever used that photographer. Well, let's just say we made his life a bit more difficult. Good man, Martin. Good man. I want Jean at that screening tonight. If she's messing up, she's going to hear about it. If she's depressed, then get her more pills. I've got an investment here. Chapter 15 Peter meandered behind Melvin down the grocery store aisle. His friend had repeated just before they entered the store that he wanted to be back in Wyoming with Jill. He had ignored Peter's story about meeting Jeannie in the trailer and taunted him about Jeannie actually picking him up at the bungalow in two hours. Melvin, you heard the phone ring when you were sleeping, didn't you? Peter, listen, I, I was sleeping. I, how would I hear the damn phone? We've made arrangements. Oh, really? She doesn't even know you and she's going to pick you up? 
Peter, I think you're stalling just to keep me out here. You obviously want to get to Ricardo and possibly kill him. I have about had it. Peter turned as Curtis walked up with her prodigious beef cut. What'd you do, Curtis? Kill that steer yourself? I'd like to sink my teeth into this one. Then again, I ain't going out with a movie star. Curtis, your father is dreaming, said Melvin. Peter, it's all right. Just accept your fate. Let's pack our bags and get out of town. Melvin shook his head and pushed the metal carriage into the next aisle. Peter rushed up to him. She is going to pick me up. I saw the studio pass. Going to the studio is one thing, but having Jean Carlyle come out to date you and pick you up, please. I believe him, said Curtis. You just earned that steak, Curtis. Peter patted Curtis on the back. I'm very concerned. I think we gave it our best shot at Capistrano, but it's not Jeannie. I'm sure you want it to be Jeannie, but it's not. I'm sorry. I don't think there's any more you can do besides find Cibola. Peter stopped the carriage with his foot. No one is going to find Cibola, Melvin. Cibola is hidden somewhere in Colorado. As for me, I'm taking full advantage of what I have. And if I can somehow have Jeannie on any level, I'll do it. Peter paced the wood floor as Melvin peered from behind the L.A. Times. Despite all his enthusiasm about finding Cibola, Melvin could not present a cogent argument about how to find the elusive area. He had been unusually quiet as Peter dressed. Curtis, whether or not he believed Peter, talked freely about his meeting Jeannie. Around six, after standing at the window for over an hour, Curtis called him out front. A long white limo rolled to the curb. He glanced at Melvin and then approached Curtis at the open door. Melvin peered over his bifocals and set down the newspaper and grinned. Well, I don't believe it. Peter adjusted the collar on his casual blue polo shirt. I wish I had something a little bit more upscale to wear. Curtis turned. You go with what you have. You always say that, or at least Pete Sturgis did. Can't argue with myself. Curtis shook his hand and smiled. The driver opened the rear door as Peter walked upright down the cement walk. Good evening, sir. Uh, good evening, he answered softly. Peter dipped his head and slipped into the sweet-smelling, darkened limo. The door closed, but he did not see Jeannie. Her slim secretary wore darkroom glasses and sat in a short black-and-white checkered skirt. Good evening, I'm Sybil Thomas. I'm Miss Carlyle's secretary and advance person. Peter shook her bony hand as the limo pulled away from the curb. Well, where's Jeannie? You requested meeting her at the observatory. I thought it would be a nice place. Jeannie's on her way over here. Even though it's relatively isolated, we are running a huge risk here. I don't have to tell you that Ricardo is back in town, nor do I have to tell you that if Jean is seen with you in public, it could create a major scandal for her. I guess I have to ask you about your motives. I care about Jean as if she were my own sister. I like her, but I'm not some demented guy who's been stalking her or anything like that. Peter looked out the tinted window and wondered if that answer would suffice. I went down to the pavilion with my friends and I chatted with Jeannie at the table. She gave me the studio pass and I did talk with her in the trailer. I see. And you just talked. Yes, that's all. She asked me if I would want to meet somewhere. It was nothing sensual or anything like that, Sybil. More like a friendship type of thing. Where's your wife, Peter? I don't have a wife here. 
He thought about Roberta Joe and how he had removed the wedding ring only hours before. You had a ring. It's not important anymore, he said, shaking his head. He gazed outside as the limo moved up the foliage-covered road through the hills. My wife doesn't exist. Well, I'm sorry, Peter. Jean is very vulnerable. In her position, she's under intense pressure night and day to live up to an image. The whole world is watching her. That's why I'm so concerned about your friendship with her. It could so easily, given her problems, develop into something else. If it does, that, well, that, of course, is Jean's business. I can't define the parameter of her feelings. And God, she does need someone in her life. I can only tell you so you will know that she's vulnerable. Don't take advantage of anything, Peter. Please. I like her. Well, that's what she keeps saying about you. And she keeps saying she feels as though there's some kind of connection here. Like she met you before or something. When people say those things, they're about to fall in love. Exactly. She handed him a sheet of paper with addresses and phone numbers. Then she gave him a small beeper. You should be able to connect with me at any time, and I'll be the only one beeping you. I don't trust cell phones. You want me to act as if the whole world were watching. You have to. I can tell you that Jean has never done anything like this. It isn't like you're the next guy who gets the beeper. Well, that's reassuring. If anyone asks you anything, assume they're from the press. Act stupid. Oh, no problem acting stupid. She smiled openly for the first time. You can't meet Jean unless she or I have cleared it and planned it. I understand. Ricardo thinks with great confidence he controls all aspects of her life. I also act as a buffer between her and Ricardo. He is, well, not exactly the nicest person in the world. I think I understand that, too. Peter's hostile feelings had not abated. Despite Melvin's insistence about traveling to Cibola, he wanted to kill Ricardo. He doesn't treat Jeannie right, does he? Well, he's brutal. He'll step on anything that gets in the way of his ambition. How did you meet Jeannie? Peter clipped on the beeper. Jean, or I should say Ricardo, did quite a comprehensive search a few years ago. I was just out of school and looking for a job. I just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Jean and I hit it off right away. Maybe that's why I understand what's going on here. She needs a good friend, Peter. Where's Ricardo now? He's back at the estate in Bel Air, a private screening tonight. Getting Jean out of that commitment was like pulling teeth. Only Martin could do it. He's my counterpart with Ricardo. Peter's mouth slowly opened. He now deemed journeying to Cibola possible with Martin in this reality. I told Martin that Jean had a prior engagement in the valley, and then I covered it with friends up there. See, this thing gets very sticky. Well, Martin talked to Ricardo, and I guess Ricardo was not happy. Sounds like Ricardo needs someone like Martin. Peter saw the observatory's green copper dome ahead. The sun lingered near the horizon as some lights twinkled across the valley. Well, that's an understatement. Martin keeps him in line. The limo veered toward an adjacent dirt parking lot and pulled next to a silver sports car with a black convertible top parked below a scrubby tree. Peter turned to Sybil. I appreciate your concern about Jeannie's well-being. You're okay, Peter. Well, I'll put a check mark next to my name. Sybil grinned and pretended to make a check mark on her papers. If you have any doubt about anything, call. You really do have to act as if the world is watching. I will, said Peter as the door opened. 
Thanks. He turned, and the driver motioned him out of the limo. Jeannie appeared within a blaze of orange sunlight. She wore casual, loose-fitting beige slacks with an earth-toned top. Her sunglasses were propped on a lemon-colored bandana. She smiled and gave the thumbs-up sign to Sybil back in the limo. The limo door shut as he walked forward. Backlit against the setting sun as if she were in a scene from one of her movies. Peter? Jeannie? Peter? They both laughed. Peter quickly kissed her cheek. The same deep musk fragrance surrounded him. He looked into her brown eyes and could not remove the silly grin off his face. It's funny you should choose this place, Peter. She turned toward the sun hovering over the Pacific. I've come out here many times, usually late at night, early morning. You can think up here. Well, it's very ethereal. Her eyes were bright and her smile genuine. Oh, really? Ethereal, is it? Peter grinned. Well, it seemed like a good word. You sound like a director. His hand brushed her hand as they strolled along the hilltop. She pointed west. All the so-called important people are down there toward Malibu. And the wonderful thing is seeing the sun setting. It's beautiful. He propped his arm behind her, briefly touching the contours of her back as he glided her forward toward the rock ledge. The large white Hollywood sign nestled in the hill bushes to his right glowed orange in the twilight. As he squinted into the fiery sun, his hand touched her hand. He took a deep breath, stunned he had come this far. Something between them had transcended Ricardo's reality. As the sun gradually dipped below the horizon beyond Malibu, he realized that they were playing with each other's fingers and soon holding hands. Her deep eyes reflected the twilight as her pupils tightened, and she spoke softly. Have you ever dreamed about what lies below the horizon? A smile formed slowly. Her teeth were perfect. You know, where the sun goes? Peter looked toward the Pacific Ocean. Another existence. A place where you don't have to worry about press releases, pleasing your public, or what the next project is going to be. Peter nodded. I think I know that place. A place with a home, permanent place with friends and people you know and have always known. She smiled tearfully as thousands of pin-dot lights sparkled across the basin. He turned and stared into her eyes. Then he lifted his hands upward, bringing his fingers slowly down her smooth cheeks. He had given up all hope of ever touching her again. The hint of musk drew him closer as he brought his mouth gently against her waiting lips. He closed his eyes and lost his thoughts as he sensed the softness of her touch. His fingers moved from her cheeks to her shoulders, and he wrapped his arms around her. He kissed her gently as if she were Jeannie. And when he pulled back, her eyes, myopic and moist, peered in astonishment as she whispered, Who are you? Someone who cares deeply about you. He wrapped his arm around her again. They continued along the ridge, talking quietly about inconsequential things, laughing and joking as the symmetrically aligned lights brightened below in the valley. In the dim light, he again traced his fingers down her cheek. A warming breeze crept up the hillside. He held her, saying nothing for the longest time. A few minutes later, she spoke in a soft, almost apologetic voice. Here we are, Peter. I met you at a personal appearance, invite you to the studio, to my trailer, and now, here we are. Let's go back to the observatory along the walkway. Oh, I don't know. Photographers are deadly, she said. Only if they know where you are. He raised his brows. Oh, all right. 
She took his hand and they held on to each other across the lot toward the observatory's dome ahead. With luck, somebody will see us and Ricardo will go wild. He stopped before they reached the ramp and held her shoulders. Ricardo hasn't treated you well. Well, he has his contingent of women, she said angrily, and then there are those he meets. I fear him. I fear he'll keep sending the pills out. Pills? asked Peter. He keeps sending what he's always sent. Getting me hooked is his way of controlling me. I'm sorry, you didn't need to know that. It's all right. Peter's arms tensed and he grinded his teeth. I didn't mean to upset you, Peter. Well, I'm just shocked at the ruthlessness of the man. He held her hand down the circular drive toward the observatory and then put his arm around her as they ascended the ramp. Over the dome, a few faint stars gleamed in the evening sky. Once they rounded the rim, the city lights rose over the white cement retaining wall. She turned. Do you hold that against me? If you do, then so be it. No, I hold it against Ricardo. No one is entitled to control another person. Are you all right now? Clean? Yes. That's what I was doing down in Mexico. I was drying out. He wasn't around. I'm all right now. Till the next time. Don't think like that, Jeannie. Don't let him control you. That's what he needs to do. That's what he wants to do. She looped her arms around him and nestled her hair in his chest. There's something about you, Peter. Damn! Something I trust. Something I admire. Something I feel secure with. I can't really call it love. I just met you. But then again, you make me smile. Who, me? You! Then she gently put her lips to his lips again, this time squeezing him tightly and she kissed him repeatedly as the wind swept up from the valley floor. Peter held her cheeks and had the urge to take her away. Peter, she said, breathing rapidly. Peter, I don't understand this. My career, who I see and when I see them, it's all planned. It's always been planned. Even my friends. Sybil checks them out, so I'm not hurt from a publicity standpoint. Why am I up here with you? You don't need to think about how or why. Don't worry. You mean I don't need to think about Ricardo anymore? Right. She laughed and they turned arm in arm toward the city below. Why is it I believe you? And I do believe you. Okay, fine. I won't worry about it. Still holding her head against his chest, he stared at the car taillights zipping past a cylindrical building along the freeway. You've reached that pinnacle, Jeannie. What's left? More. Ricardo tells me more. Sybil said he wanted you home tonight. They're screening some of the stuff we did in the studio. I was supposed to be there, and he's pretty upset I wasn't there. I wish you could just come up to Mammoth when we do the remote shooting. So, Ricardo was directing this movie. I thought the other guy, Rodney. Rodney is the assistant. He got the studio scenes going. Ricardo will be doing the Mammoth shots. Hey, Jeannie. She gazed upward with a quizzical smile. Hey, what? What do you want to do? I mean, the rest of your life. Do you want to keep your success, your lifestyle? I don't know, she said, with a vacant look that overtook her shadowy countenance. I don't mean to be evasive, Peter, but things have been changing for me since I finished The Reluctant Bride. Maybe I've reached a plateau, like you said. What do I do now? Maybe that's why I've clicked with you, Peter. People say when you're ready for someone, he comes along. Or she. She smiled and then giggled. I have no idea why you're smiling. Good, neither do I. Do you always giggle with your dates? Part of my seduction act. 
Some women have dark lingerie and garter belts. You probably have the squeaky nose and fake water bucket. She gripped his shirt and pulled him closer. Her eyelids were heavy and her voice low. I have the dark lingerie, she said, pecking his lips, and I have the garter belts. I'll buy that, he said in a higher voice, and more. She moved her lips centrally and pretended to kiss him through the air. Peter turned with Jeannie still in his arms. Sybil in her high heels bopped up the ramp. Jeannie stepped forward to meet her secretary. Jean! Jean! Somehow he knows! He found out I just talked to Martin! An image of Martin at the Plaza Hotel room pushed into Peter's thoughts. What do you mean he knows? Knows what? He had Mitchell trailing your car! They know you're in this area! You two have to get out of here right now! Sybil, I slipped out. The car was parked outside the estate. No one knew. They saw you, Jean. The limo driver ran around the corner. Mitchell and the others, they're down by your car, Miss Carlyle. Peter, you have to get out of here. I simply suggest you walk back to your car, Jean, said Sybil. Peter, you'll have to leave. I'm sorry. I understand, he said, turning to Jeannie, and he held her hands. Jeannie, we'll see each other again. I'm counting on it. Don't worry. Sybil or I will contact you. Jean, cried Sybil in a louder voice. Jeannie nodded and kissed Peter and slowly released his hands. Then she followed the chauffeur down the ramp and disappeared around the observatory. Ricardo must have ordered Martin to send up a security squad. No wonder she fought the pill addiction. Peter turned as a big man in jeans with short brown hair and a plaid sport coat rushed up the ramp. Hey, pal! You calling me? Two guys in sweatshirts followed behind. Who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? His upper lip curled and the other guys approached. Someone who wants to know what the hell you're doing up here. Just why is that? Who is he, Mitch? Mitch squinted, hiding his gray eyes. You didn't answer my question. We're looking for Jean Carlyle. You know who she is? The movie star, sure. I was up here kissing her only a few minutes ago. Mitchell produced a staccato laugh. Ha ha ha, right. But you didn't see her up here. No, I came up here to look at the city in private. Sorry to bother you, pal. Her car was out front. She must be around. He scanned the walkway around the dome and then handed a card to Peter. Private eye, eh? Hey, I haven't heard that one in a while. Come on, boys. As Mitchell and his men hurried down the ramp, Peter faced the linear car lights again. The limo's red taillights followed the spiral road down the hill, and he smiled, knowing that he would see her again. He chuckled at what he had just accomplished. Then he thrust his clenched fist upward toward the stars and shouted into the night air, Yes! Chapter 16 Ricardo produced a fermenting screech as he stormed from the docking screening room and pressed his fists on the bar, shaking the shelf glasses. He clamped his hand around the neck of a thick squared glass bottle and popped the stopper. The amber scotch twisted into the wide-rimmed bar glass. He pinched two frozen ice cubes, dropped them into the liquid, and lifted the liquor to his tense lips. Gene's independent attitude, not attending the critique, annoyed him. As he bounded down toward the pool, the scotch whisked around the glass, and he checked the side rooms for Martin. Maybe bringing a cavalcade of women up here would embarrass Gene when she arrived. He jutted out his index finger when Martin emerged with the script from the other side of the house across the pool. Where the hell have you been, Martin? Martin rolled up the script as he jaunted around the pool. He stared at Ricardo's drink. 
Well, I see you've helped yourself to the scotch. She's crossed the line. I have those deletions for you right now. Ricardo fixated on the light pool water. What I need is something to eat. Damn her. What the hell do you want? asked Martin. I don't know, he said, closing his eyes. Who does she think she is, just taking off like that? She should be down here shortly. Someone is bringing the car back, I think Mitch himself. I'll tell you something, Martin, he said, sipping the drink. She's obviously involved with somebody. Oh, you don't know that. Sturgis. His smile rose like a powerful army ascending over the hill. Yes, I hope it is Sturgis. What, are you crazy? They brought him through at Cibola. I wanted him married to another woman. He tilted his head back and laughed hard enough so Martin could not speak. <laughs> Without his beloved genie, ruined in his own town. <laughs> You're setting the stage for your own destruction. Well, what can Sturgis do? I'll be ready when he makes his move. Whether it's now or a year from now, we'll have him brought up on so many charges, he'll spend the rest of his life rotting in some cell while his love is out here with me. <laughs> Should have left him where he was. The pool's water glow mesmerized Ricardo. I almost don't want her in the film. Make arrangements with Sybil, subject to change, of course. Get Jean the hell out of here tonight. Bring her up to the mammoth location. She's starting to become useless to me. She was useless to you as soon as you established all this. Martin started back into the house, but stopped and looked back. You better start using your head. If Sturgis is in this reality, he won't be just looking for her. He'll be gunning for you. Ricardo grinned and said nothing. Maybe his life needed to be dissolved and supplanted by a cleaner, simpler reality outside the United States. He longed for a quiet, obscure life with no ramifications. His anger at Sturgis back in New York had driven him to a poor decision, and he still hated Sturgis for discovering improprieties at RICOM. Only making Sturgis suffer would afford him satisfaction. Ricardo, called Jean from the balcony. Ricardo gazed up from the pool. Where the hell were you tonight? And why the hell would you leave that car over there in the hills? Nice to see you too, Ricardo. Who is he, Jean? You're a fine one to be asking that question. You'll be leaving for Mammoth Lake within the hour. She clung to the railing and leaned toward the pool. I thought I had some time. You have no time. Just who the hell do you think you are, Jean? We need to go over those scenes and you run off to look at the city lights. I'll tell you one thing, he turned and pointed at her. I'll have Mitch and his guys find this mystery man. She retreated into the bedroom and slammed the patio doors. He hurled his drink into the pool and the scotch slowly dissipated within the aqua luminescence. The glass floated for a moment and then sank to the bottom as the ice cubes bobbed to the surface. From his narrow, lumpy mattress in the stuffy heat, Peter stared at the flashing neon sign's pink haze at the street corner. Across the room, Curtis slept on a similar bed, but Melvin had retired in his own room. Peter thought back to a few hours ago when Melvin had announced his intention of immediately returning to Wyoming. He had only partially listened to Peter's excitement about the time at the observatory and boldly advised both Peter and Curtis to get on the plane with him. Living with Melvin in Wyoming would leave him nothing, and Peter questioned if Cibola could ever be found without his assistance. 
Melvin had refused to continue what he called a fruitless argument. He handed Peter a credit card and revealed the available credit line and went to bed. But Curtis, captivated by Peter's recapping of the romantic evening at the observatory, showed no desire to live in Wyoming. From this young kid from westerly New York, Hollywood sparkled, and he believed Peter's story. Just as he drifted into a light sleep, the phone ringer cut the nighttime silence. He scrambled in the dark and reached over the coffee table for the phone. After bobbling it, he placed it against his ear. Hello? Peter, this is Gene. He sat up quickly. Are you all right? Yes, I'm back in Bel Air. They never found us, but Ricardo knows something was up. He knows I was with somebody. I don't know what he's going to do. I have to leave for Mammoth Lake. Really? I'll come with you. How? The press will be up there, Peter, and Ricardo will have Mitchell's people looking for any indiscretion. I already ran into that Bubba, Mitchell. He is a Bubba. She laughed and paused. Oh, God, I think someone is coming, Peter. I'll contact you. Please bear with me. I don't think you're aware of who you're dealing with here. I'm aware. Listen, can you get away at Mammoth Lake? When I can. Believe me, I'll call you, Peter. I really like you. She said. Somebody's coming. Wait for my calls. Don't lose heart. I will call you. I have to go. Okay, I'll wait. She quickly hung up. Peter set down the phone and rolled out of bed. He staggered to the window. The pink light swept across his face with every neon flash. He feared reprisals against Jeannie. He also knew he would now stay awake until morning. Chapter 17 She could not remember how long Mitchell had berated her from the outside hallway. Then the door crashed open. Mitchell gripped the black bag she knew so well. She hated him, and she hated the rest of Ricardo's security people. Oh, God, no. Few goodies for the trip. Compliments of your darling husband. <laughs> Mitchell laughed as if he were going to regurgitate his greasy supper. Get that bag out of here. I know you were playing around up at the observatory. We missed that limo. Get out. She hurled the bag into the hallway. Mitchell closed in. Hey, maybe sometime uh, you and me pig. You'll pay for that remark, Jean. Before he exited the room, he pitched the bag across the bedroom carpet. Then he pulled back the door and locked it from the outside. She focused on the bag and had an insatiable urge to open it. As the pressure mounted, the adrenaline overcame her will. With her heart pounding, she stood rigid and kept her eyes affixed to its smooth black leather surface. In Mexico, she had fought all this. Even Ricardo did not know she had stopped the drugs. Peter's words about Ricardo controlling her repeated in her head. The pills could destroy her life, yet she edged compulsively toward the bag. Sweat formed on her brow. She cried as she clamped her hands on the handle and furiously ripped it open. A number of plastic pouches, each containing brightly colored pills of varying shapes and sizes, were spread out before her. She knew the designation of each shape and color and what kind of high she could get. No, no. She whipped the bag against the sofa and ran to call Peter. The door opened as she lifted the phone. Mitchell clamped her wrist as if his hand were a hydraulic vice. Calling room service, Jean? Ha <laughs> ha. No, she cried. Then he violently shook her shoulders. Let me go. Let me go. He bashed the phone against the lamp, knocking it onto the rug as she crawled on her knees. Her hands shook as she rifled the bag and pawed at the plastic. 
pills rained onto the floor. No second thoughts or dramatic rationalization could stop her. She moved her twitching hands quickly to her mouth and placed the smooth oval tablets on her tongue. Then she ran to the bathroom and washed them down with a glass of cold water. She stared at her scattered, frizzy hair in the mirror as Mitchell gawked at her from the bedroom. He took one step forward. Given enough rope, anyone will hang themselves. <laughs> as Ricardo returned from the pool, the oversized Mitchell held the foyer phone and munched on peanuts next to his men. He regaled them with one of his stories about solving infidelity cases in East Los Angeles, and he cackled loudly. Is that all you have to do, Mitchell? Stuff your face and use my phone? Mitchell raised his brows, hung up the phone, and placed the peanuts back in the dish. He faked a smile. The other guys looked petrified. Ricardo, get rid of those peanuts. You don't put used peanuts back in the dish, you idiot. Yes, sir. Mitchell picked up the dish and poured the peanuts into his pocket. Ricardo rolled his eyes. Unbelievable. She was trying to call out on the phone, but I stopped her. Martin exited the game room, and Ricardo spun around. Martin, what kind of dimwits are we dealing with here? Mitchell says she was trying to call out. If you're trying to find out who she was with tonight, wouldn't it be a logical assumption that you might either listen in or, better yet, record the damn call? Martin turned to Mitchell. Make sure you put taps on everything now, no matter where we are. Priority is finding this mystery man. Martin had 8x10 photographs of Sturgis and Melvin Bornstein taken on the Rikon plane just before they landed in Denver. Martin, what are you doing with those pictures? Is this that Sturgis guy? asked Mitchell, taking one of the pictures. He's a pretty old geezer for your wife, Ricardo. No, the younger guy. If you see or hear anything about this guy, Peter Sturgis, you call me right away. Think, should I just take him out? <laughs> No, you take him in, replied Martin. Mitchell's face became solemn as he pointed at the picture. Wait a minute, this dude is the dude out at the observatory, right, Frank? Ricardo slowly turned, his blue eyes brightened, and he smiled. Sturgis. Martin moved closer, alternating glances at Ricardo. Mitchell, you better be damn sure of what you're saying. Yeah, that's him, I tell you. Ricardo had an uncharacteristic buoyancy about him and a giddiness in his voice. Are you telling me you saw the guy in this picture out there at the observatory? Well, he seemed to be minding his own business up on top of the ramp, just looking out over the city. He conned us is what he did. Well, good, screamed Ricardo. Ricardo, this is insane. Mitchell shrugged his shoulders. He just looked like some dummy out there staring at the lights. That's all right, you didn't know, Mitchell. Martin pulled Ricardo into the game room and backed him against the pool table. I told you, this whole thing has become absurd. Ricardo rubbed his hands together. Now I have him. He shouldn't even be here, Ricardo. Who knows what he said to her out there? We're going to Cibola now. Ricardo tightened his eyes and looked back toward the pool. Then he nodded his head. No! Let him think that he has her. Are you kidding me? You've risked everything before, but this is walking a fine line. This guy will be out for blood. He could be after us right now. I can't live with the knowledge that he's out there lurking. I'll set him up. 
Then lure him in. We'll get him. We'll get him and put him up on charges. And he'll rot, Martin. He'll rot. Ricardo, doesn't make any difference. No, it makes all the difference. This man crossed me. He challenged me. Who do you think you are? You're only a man. A man who was put in the right place at the right time. Now you're placing all of this in jeopardy. And you are here, Martin, because of my good nature. Martin braced his hands on the pool table and lowered his head. I've heard that too many times before, and I'm getting sick of it. You just happened to get inside there first. They looked at you as if you were some kind of spokesman for humanity. And you embellished it. I've been carrying your bags, Ricardo, even before Cibola, which was fine. But not when you started playing these stupid little games. A persistent guy like Sturgis could ruin everything. Ricardo said nothing and walked onto the tiles around the pool. He called back without even looking. Sturgis will endure my wrath. Mitchell appeared before the wrought iron balcony rail, just above them. He munched on peanuts as he spoke. Several shells floated onto the tiles below. I want to report she's resting comfortably. <laughs> Ricardo's laugh echoed around the pool and his estate walls as he pictured Sturgis trapped in some jail cell. It would just be a simple matter of letting him believe that Gene would be his once again. Maybe he could even be framed for Gene's murder. Once they threw Sturgis behind bars for the rest of his life, he and Martin would easily regroup at Cibola. Chapter 18 Peter remained skeptical about Melvin's claim about reaching Cibola. As he drove the Hummer past the spindly, silhouetted Joshua trees across the high desert north of the city, he pictured Melvin arriving in Wyoming and being met by his young wife at the Cheyenne Airport. Perhaps he and Jill would check their dry cleaner stores and then relax back at their home. Desolate, brown mountain chunks bordered the linear desert plains and angled out to the clear blue skies ahead. Jeannie's movie set at Mammoth Lake was some distance away, yet Peter felt secure in leaving Ricardo back in Bel Air. He held the wheel and eyed Curtis, who was singing the lyrics from a song playing on the country music station. My dog's best friend's sister hitchhiked to my brother's friend's wife's cousin. Well, what a classic, Curtis. Ain't that bad. It's her dog's best friend's sister going to her brother's friend's friend's cousin. Come on, Peter. Peter smiled and alternated glances at the narrow reddish asphalt ahead. Then the music ended and the news started at the top of the hour. Ha, ah, saved by the news. Well, the music will be back. Thanks for the warning. The National Report had not changed much in the past few hours, but Peter leaned forward when the announcer spoke about the Hollywood news. He skidded onto the roadside dirt. Miss Carlisle was rushed to Central Medical Center last night around midnight, spokesperson Sybil Thomas said. Emergency personnel were on hand when Miss Carlisle arrived by ambulance. Efforts to remove the apparent drugs from her stomach in the ambulance continued at the hospital. Miss Carlisle is in fair condition this morning. Plans to move her from Central Medical have not been announced. Miss Carlisle recently enjoyed a box office bonanza with the reluctant bride, and she was scheduled this week to begin shooting in Central California on a new film to be released next year. Jean Carlisle has had a history of drug and alcohol-related problems. 
KBET News Time is 9.07. Peter spun the four-wheel drive around completely. Then he accelerated south back toward Los Angeles. He imagined her a smooth, sultry face in the observatory light and the city lights forming in the valley beyond the retaining wall. His mouth went dry as he gripped the wheel and, and raced down the highway. At least Jeannie had survived the drugs. What part had Ricardo played in this? And what pressure had he put on her with his security people? Jeannie told him she'd overcome the drug problem in Mexico. Now last night she almost died. An afternoon press release indicated Jeannie had been replaced on the Mammoth Lake film. Peter hovered over the bungalow's TV screen. Live overhead shots of Jeannie's Bel Air estate as well as camera angles from the sidewalk were constantly interdispersed with clips from the reluctant bride. Ricardo must have known about his rendezvous with Jeannie last night. As the drummer replayed on the screen, his thoughts centered on Ricardo's inordinate attention to his wife at the plaza. Then he imagined his hands tightly around Ricardo's neck as he slowly squeezed his windpipe and choked him to his knees. This sadistic madness would only end with Ricardo being dead. Peter smeared the mayonnaise and chicken bits onto the rye bread slices. Curtis appeared at the door and motioned him back to the other room. On the TV, a teary and drawn sibyl neared the reporters at the Bel Air Estate's iron gate. The circles under her eyes were pronounced. Peter sat on the coffee table as the microphones and cameras were thrust at her. Last evening, Miss Jean Carlisle accidentally overdosed on a number of pills. Miss Carlisle has been under tremendous strain because of a demanding shooting schedule and has respectfully requested to be released from her upcoming movie. A replacement will be named later this week. No way, said Peter. He pulled her off that picture just to punish her. And he probably loaded her with drugs before that. Curtis stood beside him. You think Ricardo made her take all them drugs? Yes, I do, said Peter, stroking his chin. The man has an undeserved power, Curtis. He knows that no matter what he does, he can always cover himself by returning to another reality. Well, that ain't right, nor does he deserve to live. Peter sat on the sofa and clamped his hands. Peter, going after him ain't going to help Gene Carlyle, and you'll only get in trouble. Peter shook his head. You don't understand, Curtis. I know you don't understand all this. Curtis sat on the chair arm. I do understand. You ain't acting like my old man. You look like him, but I believe what you've been saying to Melvin all this time about the other realities. You're just saying that to stop me from killing Ricardo. Well, maybe so. Well, what I'm telling you is that I'll stand by you. Just don't put yourself in harm's way by wasting your time with this scum, Ricardo. At the bay window, Peter balled his fists as he perused the cracked cement sidewalks and the narrow palms above the faded asphalt street. I'll get him, Curtis. I'll get him. Chapter 19 Inside the Malibu house, Martin listened to Ricardo rambling to an agent about Jean. A little blonde in a lime-green bikini, tipped over with a tall, thin glass. He nodded, took a sip of the clear liquor, and then sucked on the lemon. He dug his bare feet into the sand as he raised his voice. Well, does Andrea want that part, or doesn't she? Find out, and have her up at Mammoth in two days. We'll run a frigging script over to her. No, Jean is all done. Do it, Jerry. 
He lowered the receiver and handed the phone to the blonde. He tossed a lemon into the wastebasket. Then he saw Martin in the doorway. Don't be monitoring my conversations, Martin. What did Andrea say? She'll be there, mark my word. He sprawled out on the lounger in a tall brunette in a red and blue striped bikini settled on his lap. He put his arm around her and lifted another glass of liquor from the side holder. We won't lose anything on this. In matter of fact, Gene's drug problem will generate a hell of a lot of publicity, he said with a sly grin. We ought to have her OD on a regular basis. <laughs> Ricardo and the woman continued laughing as Martin pressed his lips and went back into the house. He briskly crossed the wood floor and exited onto the side patio. A drifting haze had settled across the curved beach sands toward the Purple Mountains. Working for Ricardo left him with headaches and insomnia. Centuries ago, he and Ricardo had wandered away from the main exploration party. Hours later, Ricardo reached forward to grasp the rocks, but his hand had moved through the icy cliff with no apparent damage. Then he disappeared into the ledge, and Martin had crawled in from behind. Inside, power beyond control had taken over his thoughts. Ricardo drifted within a mass of wavering colored pinpoints. As the lights leveled, Martin floated into a prodigious reflective sphere, and he sensed something conscious. Spinning green loops surrounded Ricardo's body, less than 20 feet away. In an odd clairvoyance, Martin sensed Ricardo's thoughts of power and ambition. Ricardo bargained with someone else or something about creating his own private world. Always an aggressive businessman back in Spain, Ricardo quickly transformed new reality into riches. Cibola's power allowed them both an extension of ultimate wealth and a fulfillment of any desire. They eventually outlived their Spanish contemporaries and now had aged no more than a few months over the course of the last 500 years. Martin did not know why they had not grown any older. Ricardo's sadistic nature gradually accrued. The pointless removal of Sturgis and the other guy from the prior reality could only be viewed as cruel and senseless. His revenge, combined with callousness about Sturgis's role in this reality, may have threatened their survival. The cumulative effort of alternating realities, with no check on his power, made him deranged. Martin returned to the inner office and punched in Sybil's number. He waited until she came to the phone. Sybil, I need to talk to you. What do you mean? asked Martin. Did you already meet the reporters? Well, I just finished up, she answered. Damn, I thought that was in a half an hour. I'm sorry. Martin sat on the edge of the desk, exhaled, and rubbed his eyes. They moved it up an hour. He won't be happy. Listen, he's hinted about sending Jean back to Mexico. Does she know she won't be in that movie? No, she still thinks she's going up to Mammoth. I want to know who brought those pills up there, Martin. Jean's not saying. You know, I can't comment on that, Sybil. Get the place ready in Mexico. There's no doubt he wants Gene out of the country. Mexico is the logical place. I think that's a good idea. The farther she gets from Ricardo, the better. I agree, he said solemnly. I agree. I thoroughly agree. The blonde with the tattoo on her buttocks sashayed from the bedroom and onto the beach. Martin! Martin! At the kitchen counter, Martin tightened his fist and closed his eyes. He reluctantly started down the hall as Ricardo kept taunting his name. In his skimpy magenta bathing suit, Ricardo flipped the channels on his widescreen from the bed. Martin, what the hell are you doing? I heard you the first time. 
Don't give me that innocent routine. Why didn't you tell me about the briefing? They moved the time. Ricardo swung his legs around the bed. I saw the video. You never consulted me. I know the little power game you people are playing. You tell that little twit Sybil that she'll be on her way back to the college newspaper if she doesn't check with me before she powders her nose. She had no choice. They pushed her. You know how the press can be. You know how the press can be, he said, imitating Martin. Has Jean left yet? Plane left a half an hour ago. Good riddance to bad rubbish, said Ricardo as he stood. I'm going for a swim. Then we're heading for Mammoth. Make the arrangements, Martin. I want the damn press to know this project is going forward without my weak-kneed wife. Martin said nothing and turned to leave. Martin, did you hear what I said? He stood motionless with his back to Ricardo. I did. Well, then answer me when I speak to you. Martin turned and descended on Ricardo until he stood just inches away from his face. Ricardo's dark, placid eyes slowly blinked. You're pushing me. You start treating me as a human being and not your little puppy dog. Don't start with the if-it-wasn't-for-me bit. I don't want to hear it anymore. I'll make the arrangements, but you back off, Ricardo. He pushed his finger into Ricardo's bare chest, turned and stomped into the front room. Ricardo soon returned to the beach. Two women Martin did not recognize joined him, and the three of them ran down the sand. At the counter phone, Martin punched in digits. As the line rang, he spotted an envelope with his name, but scrawled in Ricardo's writing. He set down the phone and opened the envelope. Martin, have Mitchell hire extra people if he has to. Locate Sturgis. Bring him in. We'll drop him in the Bel Air house. Do some damage and get him sent up with drugs and weapons. Do it now. R. Martin crumpled the paper and popped it into the white ceramic wastebasket. He stepped into the open beach slider. Ricardo bobbed up and down in the surf with the women. Martin's head moved like the pendulum clock in the foyer, and his sweaty fists and knuckles turned white again as the sea air brushed his heated face. Ricardo operated in a realm of complete power, and more people got hurt as time went on, yet Martin saw no way to stop him. You're listening to the Gavotte, a Baroque dance. We'll get to that later. Let's talk about Ricardo. Ricardo is a self-centered, narcissistic, controlling a-hole in whatever reality he creates. Ricardo, of all people to hand over the keys to the city of gold, is the last person on earth the entities should have entrusted with such great power. I guess they didn't check Ricardo's resume before making him omnipotent. The idea of having this guy changing and controlling somebody's reality creates an immediate civil war between the characters. And also the idea of this self-absorbed moron stealing Peter's wife into a created reality is almost too much to bear. And just to add a little sadistic spice to this living hell, Ricardo allows Melvin and Peter to remember the old timeline. I can only tell you that Ricardo will outdo himself for the next episodes. Ricardo is the guy in the Carly Simon song, You're So Vain. He had one eye in the mirror as he watched himself gavotte. Gavotte, an 18th century kissing dance, was a perfect word. Perfect word by Carly Simon. But Ricardo himself is much more dangerous than the man in the song. If I were Peter Sturgis, I'd be sleeping with one eye open. Or maybe both eyes open. 
I'm Robert P. Fitton, Gavarding in the Mirror. See you next week. All of my books are available in paperback, Kindle, and audio at www.fittenbooks.com or you can look at the list of audiobooks separately at pizzazz-pizzazz.com.